You may be seated. Some time ago, when our daughter Lindsay was around 9 or 10 years of age, she asked me if we could play the board game Sorry. Uh, And so I think as a father, well, that's a relatively uh, simple affair. Sure, let's go ahead. And uh, I had in my mind it was going to be a one-on-one game. That was before she brought out uh, her stuffed lion and uh, a stuffed donkey and placed them on either side of her as other contestants in the game. They had their own pieces. Uh, She would draw cards for them as well. And so what I thought was going to be a one-on-one game turned into a three-on-one gang-up. Uh, I could not successfully get around and into my safety zone because either Lindsay or Lion uh, or Donkey uh, would would, uh, land on one of my pieces and send me back to start. See, because I had the idea the game's meant to be played a certain way, and the stacked nature of it just throws you off. And... In a sense, we come to the Psalms with this understanding, uh, rightly so, that they teach us how to worship. Uh, they were ancient Israel's hymn book. Uh, they, 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 uh, throughout the Psalms, you see words a lot like praise uh, and, uh, and, and things that are meant to lift up the name of God. And yet, here we come to Psalm 1, on page 8 of your bulletins, um, and we find there is no word of praise in this Lidlifter psalm. Why does it go right to the beginning? It throws a monkey wrench, in a way, into our understanding of how the psalms should work if we go in with the attitude that they teach us to praise. But there might be a reason for this placement, because in order to discover how to worship Almighty God and to live a life of praise and honor to Him, in allegiance to Him, we need to know something about being His followers. We need to be numbered among His authentic disciples. And so Psalm 1 becomes altogether appropriate to begin the scriptural hymn book of God's people to show what life is like in very short form, six verses here, for followers of Jesus. And so we look at this and we find, or we could ask, what are the characteristics of those who follow their Redeemer and Lord? And the psalmist, right out of the gate in the first two verses, demonstrates the desire that disciples should have. Um, he, he marks, um, he begins with the word, blessed is the man uh, who does not walk in certain ways, who does not exhibit certain tendencies. So uh, the people who are under God's blessing and joy, the psalmist here says, I want to talk to you about how they are not defined, what aren't the characteristics or markers. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, that there is a certain worldview, a certain way of thinking, a certain posture towards life, that a follower of God is not is determined not to slavishly go after, 
who does not stand in the way of sinners, who does not journey on a destructive path away from the throne of grace, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Now, this, you know, I want to be careful here because um, you know, in, in terms of our relationships, yes, Christians should have relationships and friendships with unbelieving people. But that is not what the psalmist is talking about here. He's talking more about where is your primary fellowship? Uh, and if it, your primary fellowship is with cynics and haters of God, there's a problem. That's who the, those are the scoffers. So the psalmist begins by, by demonstrating your blessing comes and your joy in the Lord comes when there are certain things that are not a factor. And then he gets to what are the factors. And it centers on the very word of God in this disciple's path. So even though your, your view of life matters, your habitual journey matters, the company you keep matters what is it that truly matters as well? And we find it in verse 2. His delight is in the law of the Lord. The Hebrew word there is Torah. And, and whereas we think of law as a legal code and, and, and regulations, there is an element to that. Uh, but here the psalmist uses the word Torah as instruction. That God, who delights in his people, shows the pattern of life and joy his people can have as, as they live under the umbrella of his grace. Uh, it's not just a habitual activity or duty, but it says his delight. There is a joy, there is a passion that goes deep into the will of a follower of God that, that, that comes out. And not only delight a, 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 a disciple. If we are disciples, we should be driven to engage with the word of God. It says, on his law, he meditates day and night. The, the force of that word meditates and, and the tradition, especially in ancient Israel, was when you meditated, you, you would, um, it wasn't just reading silently. It would be aloud, not, you know, uh, advertising it everywhere, uh, not through a bullhorn, but in a very low intonation over and over and over again, repeating the words back to yourself, like my grandmother used to read the newspaper. Uh, she, she would do that. Little, little, she'd almost whisper it, but uh, that, that's the idea. There is an active engagement with the very words of God that we should want to drink into ourselves. And it doesn't just affect us as disciples. There is a way in which this can even bring other people into the family of Christ. Yesterday I had the privilege, the very heart-rending privilege, of going over to St. Luke's Hospital where uh, my, one of my colleagues, Marjan Kempen, she serves as the librarian um, at Westminster Christian Academy where I teach, her father, Hossein, uh, was lying in the ICU on the sixth floor. And his health was failing. Uh, his liver numbers are other. There's so much that uh, his, uh, he's in so much pain uh, and, and everything. He doesn't have the reserves to fight it on. He is into his, the final 
days, maybe even hours of his life. Friday nights, uh, as, as Marjan had done so often over over her life, and, and Marjan understand, she, she is Iranian by birth. She is Christian by God's grace. Uh, but, but her father, a, a very convinced agnostic, a, a, just a staunch unbeliever, had resisted her sharing the word of God to him over and over and over. And now that he was in the ICU, she did not let go. She kept whispering scriptures over and over and over. And Kevin, her husband, kept talking to him and, and, and relaying scripture to him over and over until finally Friday night. When asked the question about Jesus as Lord and Savior, her father, Hossein, said, yes. So whether it is for us and for our nurture or for the bringing in of other people, our desire as followers of Almighty God, as disciples of our Savior, we need to encounter God in the place where he has revealed us for our flourishing and for the hope of others who he is drawing into his kingdom to do so deeply, habitually, passionately, to to rub it into the very pores of our Christian existence and experience, marinated in it like like, like meat in, in, uh, in oil and Montreal seasoning and everything. Okay, and culinary craziness aside, I get that, but you you think, okay, practically, what does this look like? Well, there are going to be different things that click. You can have different Bible reading plans. You can utilize the daily office, the morning and evening prayer readings uh, in in our Book of Common Prayer. But, But the main thing is to be willing to make time to meditate and to actively engage, to soak ourselves and to preoccupy ourselves with scripture so that it is our delight so that we might be transformed people and transforming people is that your posture is that my pleasure is that your desire is that my delight those are questions we have to ask ourselves today If the word of God directs you on the disciples' path that God lays out, then does our choice of action reflect a celebration of our Lord's teaching? And if not, then how will we seek to do so instead? Well, that's the desire of disciples, and then there's also more of a description of of the disciples. So if you're asking, what are we like, or or what's a a picture of a follower of God, we find that in verses 3 through 6. And uh, this is where, if if you've got an English translation, which obviously... (laughs) I don't know of anyone who's bringing their Hebrew Old Testament uh, to church today, uh, but in the Hebrew there is a uh, there there is the word and beginning uh, beginning verse three, so which means that what we are like as followers of Jesus, our description 
is directly tied to the desire that we exhibit to stay in God's Word. One leads to the other. So, if our desire is to meditate upon the Word of God, what does that produce, shall we say? And so the psalmist says, in, in this whole vein of a disciple's identity flowing out of his or her desire, um, that, that he is like a tree. Okay. Uh, the, the idea is not just one of these little wisps or anything, but a sturdy, sturdy tree that has taken root. A tree that is rooted, planted, uh, a tree that is fed in lively fashion because this tree is planted by streams of water which can nourish it. It is a tree that is productive. It yields its fruit in season. It is a tree that is tenacious. Its leaf does not wither and is a tree that is flourishing and all he does, it prospers. Now, understand, I'm not saying that there are times where as followers of Jesus our relational experience with the Lord might atrophy. It might seem somewhat distant. We all get that. I think that we've all been there. Uh, so this is not, the psalmist saying, this is you 100% of the time. That's too high of a threshold to come up to. But uh, this is more like, in very short form, uh, a blitz, an Apostles Creed snapshot of, generally speaking, what the designation, the description of a disciple would be. This is very short form, broad sketch. And we might even say, if we're thinking ahead to the New Testament, that there's a different scenario there, but similar verbiage, where on the night before his death, Jesus, in John 15, says, I am the vine, to his disciples, by the way, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. He says, my followers are rooted in me. They are fed by me and what I say. And they are productive. They are tenacious. They are flourishing. That is the snapshot of life as a follower of Jesus. And going back to defining by what we are not, or what disciples are not, we go to verse 4. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. This was a comes back to a tradition uh, in, in that day and age where people who would thresh grain would plunge their winnowing fork into the wheat or, or, or whatever and hold it up or throw it up. And the, and the wheat being more, the grain that would be more dense would fall down and you could have that. And if it was a windy day, it would take away the chaff, the lighter stuff, the garbage uh, that, that was intertwined and just get it out of there. Okay? So, so, uh, that, that's, that's what chaff is. It's kind of like, uh, in the days when I would go out to visit, uh, we'd visit my grandparents in western Kansas and would drive along, um, West Kansas Highway 96, and every so often you would see tumbleweeds in, in the wind because the air in Kansas never stays still, uh, blowing across the highway. The, the, these massive, almost like um, dry bushes, uh, uprooted, uh, and, and going along. And that, that's what 
the psalmist is saying here. This is what God is saying here is those who, who are not planted by me just have their feet firmly in thin air, going nowhere, driven along. And it's not just our everyday identity, but we get a picture of, in terms of final judgment, our ultimate destiny as well. The psalmist says in verse 5, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. He's not speaking now here and now today. But at the end of time, when, when, when Christ's reign is over every square inch for good of the cosmos, and yet... In spite of the fact that the wicked, those who are rebellious against God to the very bitter end, will not inherit that, we see this promise in verse 6, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. Those disciples designated by God, given this right standing, acceptance in God's sight, what we might say, justified. God knows them. Not just selects them, but knows them intimately. We are known by our Father in heaven. He adopts his followers into his family, and he cares and nourishes them. And you say, how does that happen? Uh, Maybe you're asking those questions today in terms of interest or, or wondering. And really, it's the, the work of our Lord and Savior. And for here, we go back to verse 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. Now, I am not an expert on trees in, in no sense. But there is one thing I do know about every tree. It does not plant itself. And that really, it's appropriate that we're doing this on Reformation Sunday, remembering the, the, the work of those in years past who rediscovered the good news of Jesus Christ. One of the cardinal truths of the Protestant Reformation that we need to recall that as we, we are positioned to take pleasure in God because He is the one. Grace alone. He is the one who graciously plants you. We are rooted. We are standing. We are nourished. We are cared for by another and not anything we bring to the table. We who are disciples are rescued, justified, and known by God. Now the one, maybe the one um, upsetting part of this passage maybe is that's where it ends. We're, we're told about our identity, our description, our desire. We take a look, telescopes out to the final judgments and we're like, there is a lot of space in between. I have no idea how that's going to come out day by day by day. 
I feel like I, there's a great deal where I'm going into the unknown, where, where I follow Jesus, but I'm not, I don't see many specifics of what that road is like. And maybe, especially for those of us who like to plan things out to the nth degree, that can be an issue. And yet, perhaps, what God is showing us here in his word is that to a follower of the Lord, this is truly the main thing. Not to know the path in detail, but to know and to be known by the one who sets you on and leads you by that good path. And trust him for the details. It was uh, Christmas of 1939 that King George VI uh, was slated to give a speech to uh, listeners in the United Kingdom, a radio address. This isn't the speech, by the way, that's covered in the, the movie The King's Speech. That had been about three months before, but this is coming up on Christmas, and by, by this time, uh, the Nazi war machine has really been making a lot of headway in Europe, and things look pretty grim. Uh, and and uh, the United Kingdom, still recovering from the deaths of nine million of its own uh, men in World War One, and about and now headed deep into what would be World War Two, um, th- th- there's a lot of antsiness. There are a lot of nerves. There's anxiety and there is fear. And King George the Sixth is under pressure to reassure them. And before the speech, George's elder daughter, Elizabeth, who would later become Queen Elizabeth II, approached him. And in a manner which really showed her resolve and her growing Christian faith, handed him a poem by Minnie Louise Hawkins, Haskins, excuse me. And she did that just because she thought it might be helpful to reassure him. And this is what the poem said. I said to the man who stood at the gate of the year, Give me a light that I may tread safely into the unknown. And he replied, Go out into the darkness and put your hand into the hand of God. That shall be to you better than light and safer than a known way. That is the path for those of us who are followers of Jesus, disciples of our King and Savior. It's the same path, incidentally, on which this table of Holy Communion is a regular and joyous stop where we can come and say, I am struggling, O Father, and yet you have planted me. I am stumbling, Lord Jesus, and yet please feed me. Wherever I go, O Holy Spirit, be with me and encourage me. We may not know the exact direction we're headed, but if we place ourselves in God's hand, Good hands, sure hands, the best hands in which to be the hands of one 
who knows us, that we might live a life well on the disciples' path. Amen. Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Redeemer, our Elder Brother, we give you thanks for the gift of your word and for the gift of desiring your word. By your Holy Spirit, keep us planted and fed by your grace that we who stand accepted in your Father's sight might bring forth the lively faith that brings glory to you, our King and our Messiah, who with the Holy Spirit and the Father lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen.